Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for an opportunity to come and hear your word, to worship together. We thank you for the season that we're in and the reminder of your greatness and your goodness. We just pray that you would be with uh, our message today. Help it to speak to us uh, where we are. And uh, may uh, we leave here with a charge from you um, to apply this in some way, shape, or form in our lives. Father, we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, so today, um, it, it's a li- sometimes this is going to happen. I'm just going to let you know. Sometimes after weeks of preparing a sermon, there's just going to be a time where I just try to kind of give up and say, you know what, God's just going to speak to each of you individually today. And so there's no points on the screen today. All right? There's no points on the screen. That means a couple things. You are going to have to listen today. All right? Used to be you could not listen and then still drop the notes down, still look like a good Christian as you walked out the door. But today, you're going to have to listen. Uh, but as we go through our series today, or this, these next three weeks of Luke's Christmas pageant, what we're doing is we're going to look at the lives of three individuals throughout the book of Luke, of Luke these first few chapters. And we're going to ask the question, what is our response to Christmas? Now, how many of you can remember something that you got last Christmas? Raise your hand. Good. How many of you can remember two things? Keep your hands up. How many people can remember two things you got last Christmas? Three. Four. Five. Congratulations. All right. They must have been great. They must have been great. All right. Here's the thing. Some of us have already attended Christmas parties this year, and we have already forgotten what we got at those Christmas parties. They don't last a long time. A lot of times, maybe we remember one or two, but if I ask the question, what did you get for Christmas five years ago? There would probably be a lot of you who would say, I have absolutely no idea. I have no idea. And so a lot of the times when we talk about Christmas, we focus on what we receive. And by all means, these are very important things. The fact that we receive hope and love and peace and joy and all these things from Jesus are really, really significant. But then it's like March 17th, and our coworkers are on our last nerve, and hope, peace, joy, faith isn't happening anymore. And we can't wait for Christmas to come again so we can get refilled with that good stuff because right now you're filled with anger, malice, hate, and all these other things. You don't... You don't carry it over. And so sometimes when we just focus on what we receive from Christmas, we miss the fact that these things are supposed to last. They're supposed to continue. And so maybe the question we need to ask is not what can we receive from Christmas, but how do we respond to it? If this happened, then. That's the question that we want to answer the next few weeks. And so we're going to take a look at the the story here of Mary. And it's a familiar story, but today we're asking the question, how can we learn how she responded to Christmas and how can we do the same thing? So if you will turn in your Bibles, Luke 1, beginning in verse 26. It's also going to be up on the screen for everyone today. It says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. 
But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your words to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. So, this is pretty familiar. If you grew up in church, if you've been in church for like three Christmases, you have heard this at some point. This is the story that most people, even if they've never been to a church, they can probably tell you. That an angel comes, tells Mary that this is what's going to happen. Mary says, okay, and the story continues. But when you read the story, you have to understand that there's not really this immediate, yes, I'm in for Mary, is there? The angel shows up. She says, greetings, you who are highly favored. Her response is, oh, me? Thank you so much. Whatever you say, I'm in for this. What does it say? She is greatly troubled and wondered what kind of greeting this would be. This word wondered, if we translate it literally, it says she took an audit of what was being said. She stepped back and she looked and she was trying to analyze, there's this strange angel appearing to me. What on earth is happening here? What have I done wrong? What have I done right? What is this? And so the angel, knowing this, continues on, says, don't be afraid. And she gives, the angel gives this lowdown. This is what's going to happen. You're going to have a son. And then Mary, once again, doesn't just automatically say, okay, whatever you say, that's cool, let's go. Mary, once again, says, okay, number one, there's, I have... Let's just be frank here. I haven't done what is necessary to have a kid, so how is this going to happen? There's a big red flag here. This has not happened to me. I know how this works, and frankly, this hasn't happened, so how is this happening? And so the angel goes and continues on. But there's a turning point here in the last two verses of what we just read. There's a turning point. Verse 37, the angel tells Mary, no word from God will ever fail. And then all of a sudden, all of Mary's questions and her hesitation goes away. And she replies, I'm the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. In other words, if God is saying this, and his word never fails, then I'm in. I trust you. That's the first word we're analyzing, trust. If, Jesus did, if God did what God says that he did in Scripture, if Jesus did come in the form of this baby, then our first response is trust. Because if a God would do that, he's good enough to trust. But here's the thing. You and I, we kind of like to trust when things are going exactly to our plans. Right? We trust God when his plans look like our plans. When my raise happens, it's easy to trust God. When the co-workers that I really don't like got fired, it's really easy to trust God, right? We trust God when good things happen to us. Mary took an audit. Mary stepped back. Mary had to analyze, and when she analyzed, she had to have realized these things. First of all, her reputation was going to be ruined. She was going to be an unwed, pregnant teenager. 
Most people put her in 15, 16 years old. Now we know how we react today to this. In that time, it, you were socially ostracized. The, really, it's a scarlet letter of sorts. Everywhere she would go for nine months, people would talk. And then when the baby was born, they would continue to talk. She would be accused of being promiscuous and a lot of the other words that are out there too. Not only that, as she grew older, people would say, oh, is that your boy? Yes, that's Jesus. How old is Jesus? And she would tell him how old Jesus was. And says, oh, wow, well, how long have you and Joseph been married? And she would say how long that has been. And then people would do math. And they would figure out, well, one of these things happened before the other, and it's not the way it should have been. And so she is signing up for a reputation that is ruined for her entire life. There's also this. Her relationships are going to be strained from this point forward. We see in Matthew's account of Jesus' birth that Joseph is getting ready to leave town. Joseph is really confused about the whole thing, and so she, he knows that she is pregnant. He knows it's not his, and so he is getting ready to leave. He doesn't want the shame, and he doesn't want the, the anger, and he doesn't want the backlash, and so he's hitting, he's hitting the bricks. He's heading out of town, but the angel comes, and he talks to him and assures him that everything is going to be okay. But those of you who are married know this. When tensions rise in a marriage, nothing ever goes away, Right? Like 27 years ago, if you cut off somebody in traffic today and it's your fault, your backseat driver is going to remind you of what you did 27 years ago. Why? It never goes away. Can you imagine if what is between you two is, oh, you are the mother of the Son of God and I had nothing to do with it. Can you imagine the times that they got together and Joseph just broke down saying, do you realize, Mary, how hard it is for me to be a surrogate father of the Son of God? Those of you who uh, you, you share custody of kids and you see that there's, sometimes there's playing back and forth between parents, can you imagine the other parent being God? And you have to live up to that standard? Right? That's not, that's, doesn't, that's going to cause strain in the relationship. There always is. But think about this. It's not only her relationship with Joseph, it's her relationship with her kids. All right? She and Joseph have kids together. We see that in Scripture. And here's something else that we see in Scripture. At least for, for the majority of Jesus' life, if not for all of his life, none of the other siblings believed in him. In fact, they asked Jesus to leave town because he was embarrassing them. And yet you have Mary who signed up on day one that this is the way things is going, are going to happen. And so now she's at odds with her kids. I mean, can you imagine the kids coming up to Mary? Mom, why is Jesus your favorite? And she says, well, commandment number one is that you should have no other gods before me. And well, he's a God and you're not. So I'm just living holy right now that he is better than you. Like it's scripture that I can't do anything about it. Can you imagine how upset the kids are? And she has to live with that her entire life. And she steps back and she realizes my reputation is ruined. My relationships are strained. And maybe we've gone there, and maybe we've realized those two things, but I don't think that we've really dipped our toes into this other. Just like every Jew, her religion was all of a sudden turned upside down. 
So it's more than just relationships and it's more than just reputation. Everything that she believed is true from day one is completely flipped upside down. Because the Messiah is supposed to be this great militaristic leader who comes from a great noble family, who comes and wipes out everyone who's occupying the Holy Land, kicks them out, establishes an earthly kingdom, and lives forever. That's how this is supposed to go. She looks at her situation and she says, I'm getting ready to marry a carpenter. We're going to be poor. We live in Nazareth, which no one wants to come from. And this is how God's going to come into this world. Her religion was absolutely turned upside down. And yet, she says, if your word never fails, then let it be fulfilled in me. If your word never fails, despite all of this, I trust you. We don't trust God if someone makes fun of us on Facebook. We don't trust God because someone dared to tell us happy holidays. We don't trust God. And Mary's entire life went crazy really fast. And yet she was still able to say, if you said it, I believe it. If you said it, I believe it. Our response to Christmas is to trust God. Now, here's the thing. We can conceptually trust God. It's putting it into action that maybe is a little bit more difficult. Like, we might read the Bible, we think it's great, and we believe what it says, but when push comes to shove, maybe we're not convinced. And we get the sense that even though Mary tells, if your word is, is coming from God, then if this word is coming from God, I'm all in, we get the sense that she's still not fully convinced. And so she listens to what the angel says. The angel drops Elizabeth's name and says, this is what's happening to her. And so Mary goes... Verse 39 says, At that time Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped within her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who believed that the Lord would fulfill her promises to her. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down the rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and to his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. I got to admit, that's a pretty good song to come with up, up with on the spot. Like, she didn't sit down and figure it out. This, this was on the spot. I'm going to say all this. You see, it was the assurance of John the Baptist doing a few cartwheels in Elizabeth's stomach that made her realize, oh, no, I really believe this now. 
Like, I was there that no word of God has ever felt, but the fact that this has happened reiterates to me that God is going to keep his promise. He's going to do what he says he's going to do. And what she realizes very quickly is that when you trust God, you join a long list of people who have done so. And she automatically, or she all of a sudden realizes that the part that she's having to play in the story of God's redemption for all of mankind fits in with that entire thing that she grew up with. Yes, her religion has been turned upside down, but at the same time, it fits perfectly. She name drops here. She talks about the people of Israel, and she talks about Abraham, and she goes back and realizes if God kept their word to them, or kept His word to them, then He's going to keep His word to me. If God was faithful then, He is faithful now. And I realize that I am just playing a part in what God is doing throughout history to bring His people to Him. Here's something that holds us back. We don't want to be alone in following God. We read Scripture and we say, wow, that really speaks to me. That, that's really something I ought to do. But no one else is doing it. And I don't want to be the first. Here's the thing you and I need to realize. History is full of people who trusted God. We read their stories here. We're not alone. No one's ever going to look at us and say, wow, you are the very first person who in all of human history has ever trusted God. Congratulations. Everyone look at this one. No, this isn't how this goes. We play a part. We fit into this grand timeline of people who said, despite my circumstance, I trust God. And so the real question is, what do you do with trust? Well, the word that goes along with trust and the word that goes along with how we react to what God has done is that we trust and we obey. If you trust someone, you will obey what they have to say. We see that Mary does that. And now we get to maybe... The most famous section of Scripture, thanks to Charlie Brown in the New Testament. Chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. It says, In those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house in the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. So Mary trusts God. She trusts that God is going to keep his word. And then nine months pregnant, she's got to uproot and leave and go to Bethlehem. Now, I can't speak from experience, obviously. But some of you can. At nine months pregnant, some of you don't want to go from the living room to the bedroom. She has to go from Nazareth to Bethlehem. She has to ride a donkey all the way there. She's exposed to the elements because they don't have like a car that protects them. They have to go. And after all of this, she gets to Bethlehem and they're a little late. I assume it took a little bit longer for them to go as most people. They're a little bit late and so they show up and, and there's nowhere to stay. There's nowhere to go. 
there is time to go. Jesus is coming, and so she does what a mother does, and that's, well, this is happening. Let's find a place for it to happen, and it's a manger. You see, here's what we think. We think that if we trust God, then everything should get easy. When we trust God, everything then is supposed to fall in place, and it should be just simply easy to obey Him from this point forward. If we trust God, everything should be rainbows and bunny rabbits and happy music, and everything should be great, because that's what happens when we trust God. Now, sometimes we have to trust God even though we are going through the most difficult part of of our life, and there is no light at the end of the tunnel. Sometimes we have to trust God when that medical report comes back bad. And we have to trust God when our son acts like a fool and we have to deal with it. Quit looking at your sons. We have to trust God even if it means that we're going to be unpopular, even if we're going to be ostracized at work, even if it turns our religion on its head. We have to trust God and we have to obey Him. You see, when God calls us, He does not call us to just do things for Him conditionally. He calls us to trust Him no matter what. And yet, so often what we do when we feel that God's calling us, we look around us and that dictates whether we believe in Him or not. We look at our surroundings, and we look at our circumstances, and we say, man, that's awfully big. I don't know that I can do this. That's awfully big. Man, the work is piling up. Man, my family is a mess. Man, my health is not as good as it used to be. And if we ever allow our surroundings to dictate whether we will trust God or not, I am here to tell you this morning, you will not and I will not. It is only realizing that God is bigger than whatever is standing in front of us that we understand that His Word will never fail. It will never lead us astray. It will never let us down. And so we look throughout the history of of the human race, we look through the Bible, and we realize that in order for Abraham to trust and obey God, he had to realize that he was going to have a son. And then when his son came, he was asked, to kill him. And yet because his God was bigger than his circumstance, he obeyed him. Joseph believed, even though he was where he was supposed to be, that if he went to Egypt, then he, his people would eventually come back and would eventually go back to the promised land, even though it would not happen in his lifetime. Even though his circumstances seemed very, very tricky, he trusted and obeyed God because God was bigger. Moses believed that God was bigger than the things that he had to encounter, and so he trusted and obeyed. Joshua marched around the city seven times, then blew some trumpets, hoping that the building would fall down, and yet... Yet, as crazy as that was, he trusted God because no word from him ever fails. Gideon ends up with just a few people when he started with a thousand and still goes into battle because he believed his God was bigger than his circumstance. David believed that God was bigger than Goliath. And Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abingo believed that God was bigger than his government. And we could keep going over and over and over again. The truth is that if we trust God, we trust that his word is, is something that's never going to let us down. And so no matter what's around us, it is not bigger than my God and is not bigger 
than your God. Your sickness, your pain, your regret, your unforgiveness, your living situation is not bigger than your God. And if this is true about Christmas, it shows how big He is, how much better He is, and it means that we can trust Him. And it means that we can obey Him. And this is why we do it. We're going to talk about these guys next week, but the shepherds show up and they, they hear a word from God. This is what's happening. You need to go and check this out. And so they waltz up to Bethlehem. They walk in. They see everything that's going on. And then Luke 2.20 says, The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. In other words, God's word did not fail. You see, when you and I trust and obey God, it glorifies him. It lifts Jesus on a pedestal. Jesus is glorified when his people trust and obey him. You see, everyone does Christmas, it seems. But very few people do it right. Christmas isn't just about receiving, it's about responding. I said this uh, Sunday night when we decorated the church. As a Christian, your Christmas should look different than everyone else's Christmas because you realize what happened. And what happened is that the Almighty God in order to have a relationship with the entire world, humbled himself, gave up his right to be right, gave up his power, and came down to earth in the form of a helpless baby where he had to be taken care of and his diaper had to be changed and he had to go and live in a place called Nazareth, which, by the way, apparently nothing good came from Nazareth. He, had to be, he lived in a carpenter's house, not in royalty. And yet what we do know about him is those three years of ministry where he came and says, actually, this is how you should live your life. And yet people killed him. They crucified him. But he rose... And now he sits at the right hand of God. And here's the thing we have to understand. That before any of this happened, Jesus knew it was going to happen. He knew exactly what he was getting himself into, and he said, oh, it's worth it. It's worth it. To have a relationship with the people that I have created, this is worth it. So this morning, my question is, do you trust him? Because if this is true, God is worthy of our trust. And if God did this, who are we to do anything other than obey him? Every week we have this thing we call the invitation. And sometimes we use, and I'm guilty of it, and I'm sorry, I use Christianese. Right? Christianese words, where you might not be familiar with how this works. This is what the invitation is. is When we say to come and accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. What that means is you quit trusting yourself. You quit trusting the process. You quit trusting your family. You quit trusting all these things to fix your life. Because you realize that it can't. And you decide that only Jesus can do that. 
We elevate him to a place of lordship in our life, which means he rules our life, which means he is who we trust above anyone and everyone. And that's what we, that's what we want to say. So that's what we mean about giving your life to Christ. That's, that's what it means. And then there's obedience. As an act of obedience, we, we go back here to this baptismal pool, and we, in symbolically, we die to ourselves, and we're raised to life in a new creation. The old us is gone. The new has come. It's our first act of obedience and the long line of obedient acting the rest of your life. And so when we invite you to come forward and we invite you to meet this invitation, all we're really saying is, are you tired of doing it on your own? Because if you are, there's a better way. But the rest of us here today, we have a challenge too. And that's to trust and obey God. Because if he did what he said that he did, he's worth it. He's worth it. So the one thing we, I did put on the screen today, this is what we take home. If we trust God and if we obey him, Jesus is glorified. And if you read scripture, that's all you and I are supposed to do is to be Christ to the world around us. And so this morning, if you do have this decision that you say, I'm, I'm through doing this on my own, I'm through doing this these other ways, I want to trust God, then I'm going to be standing up here, and I'd love to talk to you more about that. We're going to come forward and, and play a song, and during this song, if that's an uh, invitation that you want to accept, we invite you to do so. Let's pray. Father, thank you for... Thank you that your word never fails, that we can open up this scripture, this book, every single day, and whatever we read, it is true, and it always, always means that you're there with us. There's so many things that vie for our trust, but only you are trustworthy. Only you are worth trusting and worth obeying, and I pray, Father, that you would work in our hearts this morning So maybe for the first time or the thousandth time that we say, I'm through doing it on my own, I choose to trust you. Father, move in our hearts, move in our community of faith here. May our Christmases look a little bit different because we're not looking about what we can receive. We're looking on how to respond to the great news that you loved us so much that you did this. Father, move in our hearts. Thank you that your word never fails. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you do have a decision, we invite you to come forward today. Let us all stand and let's sing.